The scripture reading this morning comes from John chapter 1, beginning at verse 35. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard that John had who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. The next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, Follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said to him, Here truly as is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than that. He then added, Very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God descending, uh, sorry, ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This is the word of the Lord. How well do you see? What, what can you see on the chart? Nah, it's all right. Uh, as someone with very poor vision, uh, I don't see very well at all. I've done lots and lots of eye tests in my life. Uh, the chart that I had had an H on the top, and that was the only letter I can read these days. But how well do you see? I'm sure some of you are at that age, that stage where your arms aren't long enough to read the things anymore. How well do you see? And do you see what you think you see? I think it was seven years ago now. Do we remember this dress? Seven years ago, this came out on social media and it divided the whole world. What colour is it? Is it blue and black or is it white and gold? Does anyone see the white and gold? Does anyone think that dress is white and gold? You do? Only one. Only one wrong person in the room. (laughs) I, I find it so baffling because obviously you only see what you see, and to hear that someone else would look at that and say it's a different colour to what you see, it's kind of disturbing, it's a little bit unsettling. It's kind of amazing that you can look at the same thing as someone else and yet see something different. Well, 
we're continuing our series in the Gospel of John, and in John's Gospel, John makes quite a big deal about seeing Jesus. And as much as I'm sure many of you would have loved to you know, live in first century Israel and be able to see Jesus face to face, that's not what John is talking about. There's plenty of people that saw Jesus with their eyes, but throughout his gospel, John makes a big deal about really seeing Jesus, seeing Jesus for who he is, recognizing, knowing, understanding, comprehending, and embracing Jesus. And so the question that comes to mind again and again and again in John's gospel is, have you seen Jesus? Do you truly see him? And in John's mind, when you see Jesus for who he really is, then you will know that he's someone worth following. You'll know that he's someone worth trusting. You'll know that he's someone worth giving your whole life to and thus receiving life in his name. And so right at the beginning of his gospel, John invites us to come and see. And so we're going to come and see Jesus in the first chapter of John's Gospel this morning. But how about we pray and ask that God would actually help us to truly see who Jesus is. So how about you pray with me? Father God, we ask this morning that you'd open our eyes to see what you would have us see in your word. For many of us who have heard of Jesus for our whole lives, who have read our Bibles for our whole lives, Lord, would you... Show us this morning if we have missed something about Jesus. Help us to see him for who he truly is and then help us to respond to him in light of what we see. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you've closed your Bibles, I would love for you to open them back up because I really want you to see what God has to say to you in that text rather than just what I have to say. I can say the wrong thing your Bible will not. So keep them open if you've got one. If you don't have one with you, but you've got one at home, bring it along to church. Um, If you don't have one, come see me, I'll give you one. Uh, But this morning in John chapter 1, John invites us to come and see three things about Jesus. You'll see them on the back of your handout if you picked one up. Come and see the one who gives us the thing we most want, the thing we most need, And the thing we never thought we could have. If you were here with with us last week, you'll remember that John the baptizer, who's a different John to the one who's writing the book. We met John and John's sole purpose in life, the thing that got him out of bed in the morning, the reason he existed was to, to direct people to Jesus. He was someone who saw who Jesus is. He recognized Jesus' greatness. He understood that Jesus was the hope of the world. And so in verse 35, when John sees Jesus coming again, he goes out of his way to make sure that his own friends, his own disciples, see Jesus. He says in verse 35, Look, the Lamb of God! And in verse 37, when the two disciples heard him say this, they did exactly what John wanted them to do. They followed Jesus. Now, this is quite remarkable. Remember, John was quite impressive. He had a huge following. He even had his own disciples, people that followed him around just to hear him talk. 
But there's no jealousy from John. There's no petty self-interest. John happily sees his followers just walk away from him to follow someone else. He happily allows himself to fade away into the background because now the headline act has arrived. Now, there's a great lesson there for us, I think. There's a great lesson for me as a pastor, but also for anyone involved in ministry. If you're involved in teaching God's Word to people, in leading a Bible study, in teaching in kids' church, if you're involved in reading your Bible with a friend, our job is not to draw attention to ourselves, is it? Our job is to draw attention to Jesus. And as nice as it is having people that love you, I really like it if you, if you like me, but that shouldn't be my priority. I'm not here to help make you like me. I'm here to make you love Jesus. And that's what John the Baptist does here, doesn't he? He directs people's attention to the one who is greater. So these two disciples of John become disciples of Jesus. One of them, we're told later, is Andrew. Uh, We don't actually, we're not told who the other one is. It's traditionally thought of to be John who's writing, John the Apostle. I'm going to run with that. I think it makes sense. So Andrew and John start following Jesus. They follow him in a spiritual sense. You know, Jesus becomes their teacher, their guide, their master, but they also quite literally start following him down the road. They start walking after him. And then this leads us to the very, very first words that John records Jesus saying in the whole gospel. Verse 38, what do you want? Sounds a bit funny, doesn't it? Of all the things that John could have recorded Jesus saying, what do you want? It almost reads as if Jesus is a bit annoyed at these two people stalking him, but I I don't think that's what it is. I don't think we should read this as a what do you want, but a what do you want? What are you looking for? What can I help you with? What are you seeking? You've got to see, this is, this is not like the offer of help that you get from the pimply-faced 16-year-old when you walk into Kmart. Welcome to Kmart, can I help you? Probably not, is the answer that comes to mind. <laughs> now, no disrespect to pimply-faced 16-year-olds who work at Kmart, I was one of them. They gave me three shifts and then they stopped for some reason. <laughs> but this is not like that. This is not an inept offer of help. This is God who created everything, offering help. This is the eternal God in the flesh, the all-knowing, all-powerful one. And how clearly do we see the heart of Jesus when this all-powerful God turns to Andrew and John and says, how can I help you? What do you want from me? It's a great question. How would you answer that? Just imagine you're walking down the road and you stand face to face with Jesus and he says, how can I help you? What would you like from me? What would you say? Can you make me healthy? Give me a bit more money? A packet of Tim Tams that never runs out. Can you protect me from all the bad things? Can you help me with work or school or relationships? What is it that you want from Jesus? I presume you want something from him. You're here. What do you want from Jesus? Now, the sad thing is that for most of us, our problem is not that we ask too much of Jesus. Our problem is that we ask too little of Jesus. We expect little from him, and so we ask little of him. 
we, we think that Jesus might be able to give us a little bit of hope, a little bit of joy, a little courage, a little faith. We think he's capable of giving us only a little, and so we ask only for a little. And in a sense, that's what Andrew and John do, don't they? Jesus asks them, what do you want? The all-powerful, all-creator God saying, hey, what do you want from me? And they say, Rabbi, where are you staying? You're like, Come on, guys. You could have asked for anything. When, when Bartimaeus got asked that question, he, he asks big, doesn't he? He says, I want to see. I'm, I'm blind and I want you to make me see. When Jairus, who the kids are hearing about downstairs, he gets asked that question and he says, heal my daughter. When the thief on the cross gets confronted with that question, he says, remember me when you enter your kingdom. Take me to heaven with you, Jesus. But Andrew and John, where are you staying? They ask for something so small. They ask for almost nothing. But the amazing thing about Jesus the thing that Andrew and John are about to experience is that Jesus doesn't give us just what we want. He gives us more than we want. We come to him with small requests and yet he answers in huge ways. Do you see that? Andrew and John come looking for a rabbi. They're looking for a religious teacher who can just teach them things. But eventually they're going to come to see that Jesus is not just a teacher, he's a saviour. They want to know where Jesus is so that they can spend some time with him and learn from him. But instead, Jesus shows them how they can live with him forever. They ask for small things, but Jesus answers them in big ways. And the question is, what do you want from Jesus? Because so often we go to him looking for such small things. We pray that sick people will get better We pray for people sitting exams. We pray that people who are looking for a job will find a job. And don't get me wrong, Jesus cares about these things. He, He teaches us to pray, as we just did before, for our daily bread. He cares for the small things. But don't miss the big thing that Jesus gives you. Don't stop asking for little things, but see this morning that Jesus offers you so much more than you even ask for. Something so much more precious. As he did for Andrew and John, he offers you himself. He gives himself to you. He offers you life in his name. He offers for you to become a child of God. He offers you the world. We ask him for such small things, but he gives us so much more. And so our first point this morning is that come and see the one who gives us more than you could ever want. But as we keep reading in verse 41, we discover that the first thing Andrew does is go grab his brother Simon. And he invites Simon to come and see Jesus. We have found the Messiah, he says. And so Andrew brings his brother to meet Jesus. And in verse 42, Jesus takes one look at Simon and says, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas which when translated is Peter. Now, it might seem weird to you for a guy who's just met someone to give him a new name. And you're kind of right, it is a bit weird. But it's something that Jesus' father has been doing for a long, long time. 
You see, this is, this is what God does to people. We, we read about it in our Genesis series, didn't we? God changes Abram's name to Abraham. He changes Sarai's name to Sarah. Later on in Genesis, God changes Jacob's name to Israel. And every time God does this, every time he changes someone's name, he's making a statement about who these people are or who these people will become. And it's the same here. Because Kephas, Cephas, the Aramaic name, or Petros, the Greek equivalent, means rock. Jesus is saying to Simon, you will be called rock. You will be a rock. You will stand firm like a rock. You will be a strong foundation like a rock. And if you've read the Gospels before, you'll note one thing for certain, is that Peter is anything but a rock. Think about the accounts of Peter in the Gospels. One minute he's walking on water, trusting Jesus. The next minute he's scared and drowning. One minute he's declaring Jesus to be the Messiah. The next minute he's telling Jesus how to do his job. And he's saying suffering is not the way. One minute he's declaring his unwavering commitment to Jesus. The next minute he's denying him. Denying that he ever knew him. Peter is not a rock. He's jelly. And Jesus knows that. Jesus knows everything about Simon. He's never met the guy and he knows who he is. He says, you are Simon, son of John. He knows who he is, but more importantly, he knows what he will become. And the reason Jesus knows what Peter will become is because Jesus is the one who will transform him. Jesus is the one who will petrify Simon. Remember, Jesus is the divine word. When God says, let there be light, there is light. When God says, Simon, you will be a rock, he will become a rock. But Jesus doesn't just transform Simon. No, he does this for everyone who comes to him. And so here's, here's the, the take home for you. When Jesus calls you a child of God, He makes you a child of God. When Jesus calls you righteous, he commits to transforming you, to changing you, to actually make you righteous. When Jesus calls you mine, then you have nothing more to fear in this life. When you come to Jesus, you find the one who gives you the thing you most need, the one who can change you. I don't know if you've ever tried changing yourself, if you've ever tried living up to God's standard in your own strength. It's very ineffective. The thing we most need is someone who can actually change us. And when we come to Jesus, we find that person. We find the one who is able to make us into a new person not just an improved person a new person who can change us from the inside out come and see the one who gives you the thing you most want himself come and see the one who gives you the thing you most need transformation and finally come and see the thing you never thought you could ever have a way to god 
Because just like Andrew, the first thing Philip does is go and find Nathaniel and brings him to Jesus. And Nathaniel's a bit sceptical. But Philip says, come and see for yourself. And so he does. And Nathaniel is impressed with Jesus. Jesus knows who he is. Clearly Jesus knows things about Nathaniel that it would be impossible for anyone else to know. And so in verse 49, Nathaniel's scepticism is completely reversed. Nathaniel declares, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Nathaniel is convinced by this one display of Jesus' power. But do you see what Jesus says to that? Do you see how he responds? He says, that's nothing. You ain't seen nothing yet. Verse 50, Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. And then in verse 51, he then added, very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, verse 51, Jesus is referring to the time when the patriarch Jacob saw a vision of a stairway to heaven. Jacob's ladder, you might have heard it called. And for Jacob, it was a a confirmation that God still cared about his people. There was still a connection between heaven and earth. When you see angels ascending and descending on the ladder, it's saying that there's, there's still a way between God and man. For Jacob, that was confirmation that God hadn't abandoned his people. But Jesus takes this Old Testament image and he twists it ever so slightly. Because in Genesis 28, Jacob sees a stairway reaching into heaven with angels ascending and descending on it. As in the angels are ascending and descending on the stairway. But do you see what Jesus says here? Very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Jesus is the Son of Man. That's his way of referring to himself. And so the great thing that Nathaniel will see, the amazing thing that you and I need to see, is that Jesus is the ladder. Jesus is the stairway to heaven. God has not severed the connection between heaven and earth. There is still a way for people like you and me to have relationship with God. There is still an access to heaven. And Jesus comes and says, I am the way. I am the stairway. I am the ladder. And so, friends, all of this leaves us with two very important implications. And I'm going to finish with these. The first one is come and see. Come and see that you will find the thing you most want in life, in Jesus. What do you want? Ask yourself that question. What what do you want? Think hard about this. What do you really want in life? What is it that you're seeking? When you push down deep into that question, you'll find that almost all of us are really looking for a bunch of the same things. Most people's deepest desires boil down to, I want to love and be loved. I want to be free. 
I want to be safe and happy. And I want my life to have counted. Can you resonate with some of those? What is it that you really want in life? If you strip back all the things that you do that are just meaningless, what is it that you're really living for? I suggest that it's probably one of those things or a combination of those things. You want to be loved, you want to be free, you want to be happy, and you want your life to have counted. And you might try and look for those things in a whole lot of different places. See, one person might try and find the love that they are seeking in the affections of just one person, and someone else might try and find the love that they are seeking in the affections of a crowd of people. But they both just want love. Some people might think happiness is travelling the world and, and you know, living life to the full in that way, and for another person, finding happiness or contentment in life might be success in their own business. We look for these things in different places, but ultimately I think we're all looking for the same sorts of things. What is it that you want? See if you can answer that question. It's, it's a tricky one to answer. We don't usually spend a lot of time probing our deepest desires. What is it that you want? Friends, John 1 teaches us that we can come and see that in Jesus you will find the thing you most want more, more fully, more completely, more lastingly, if that's a word. If your life is all about your family, know in Jesus that you will have deeper, stronger, more meaningful connection than even the greatest relationships you have right now. If your life is about finding happiness, come and see that you'll never find joy like what you can have in Jesus. Whatever it is that you want, come and see that you'll find it in Jesus. And that's my invitation to you, whether you're a Christian or not. Come and see. Come and look again at the life that Jesus offers you. Come and see. That's our first implication, but I can't finish without drawing attention to our second implication. I can't finish without drawing your attention to the fact that in John chapter 1, no one comes to see Jesus without having someone else go and tell. Do you see that? How is it that Andrew and John come and see Jesus? Well, John the baptizer went and told them. How does Simon come and see Jesus? That's pretty significant. Think about that. Simon, who becomes the rock, the apostle, the founder of the early church, he's a pretty significant dude. How did he come and see Jesus? Andrew went and told him. How does Nathaniel come and see Jesus? Philip went and told him. And friends, how, how are your neighbours, your co-workers, your fishing buddies, the other mums at the school gate, the guy who delivers your groceries, your sister, your father-in-law, the villagers living in the mountains of Papua New Guinea, how are they going to come and see Jesus? Someone needs to go and tell them. And friends, John 1 shows us so clearly that anyone who has come and seen Jesus can go and tell about Jesus. You don't have to be a missionary, you don't have to be a pastor, you don't have to 
Well, I shouldn't say you don't have to be a missionary. We're all missionaries. But do you know what I mean? It's not, it's not the, you know, the job of a select few. Anyone who has come and seen Jesus can go and tell about Jesus. You don't need some special training. You don't need some special method. Have a look at what Philip does when Nathaniel kind of responds skeptically. You know, Philip says, we found this guy that comes from Nazareth. He's the Messiah. And Nathaniel's like, ooh, Nazareth? He can't come from Nazareth. Did Philip try and convince Nathaniel that, ah, actually, he could have come from Nazareth? He didn't try and work through the Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah. He, he just said, come and see for yourself. Why not check him out for yourself? And friends, you can do the same. You don't need all the answers. I, I know evangelism seems scary, I know the easy thing is for us just to keep it to ourselves. But if if you have come to see that Jesus is your saviour, if you've come to see that Jesus is your king, then you have very, very good news to share. Why not invite your friends to come and see Jesus for themselves? Ask them what they think about Jesus. You know, you don't need to have some special method of evangelism. Ask your friends what they think about Jesus. They'll probably tell you, oh, I'm not really interested. I don't, I don't care. I don't, I don't believe all that rubbish. Ask them if they've actually looked into him for themselves. He makes some big claims. It's worth knowing. It'd be worth making up your own mind. Ask them to read one of the accounts of Jesus with you. You don't have to prepare You don't have to know all the answers. Just come and read a bit of the Bible with them. Ask them what they think. If you can show someone Jesus and show them that he means something to you, then that may well be the kindest thing you've ever done for your friend. Who could you invite to come and see Jesus this week? Have a think about that. How about we pray for them now? Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for those that have come before us and helped us to come and see Jesus. We thank you for our parents, for our pastors, for our friends who did just invite us to come and check out Jesus for ourselves. We thank you for their courage in doing that and we thank you that Jesus came and revealed himself to us so that in him we can see that we can have life, that we can have the thing we most desperately want the thing we most desperately need, the thing that we never thought ever possible. Lord, we thank you that Jesus came and offered this to us. But Lord, if we're people who have accepted that, we ask that you would also give us the courage to go and tell. Would you give us the courage to invite our friends to come and see Jesus for themselves? We know we can't argue them into faith we know we probably don't have answers to all their questions but we do have a good God and a kind saviour and so Lord we ask that you would help us point them towards him we bring before you those that we know family members friends co-workers Lord we ask that 